Now, uh, as we head towards Christmas, as Craig, you reminded me, it freaked me out a little bit that Christmas is only a week away. And the title of the series that we're doing going into Christmas is called Light in the Darkness, which would have been very ironic this morning because for those of you who weren't here early, earlier, we almost didn't have any power today. The generator at the school was out of diesel and so we almost just had these little twinkly Christmas lights behind us. Um, so it would have looked great, but I would have been yelling at you the whole morning, which is not comfortable for any one of us. But last week, the image I tried to use to focus your attention and your affections this Christmas is the image of a candle that we had lit here on the stage. And the reason why we chose a candle is because we are looking at the way the Gospel of John tells the story of Christmas. Now, if you've read the Gospel of John, you might say, Stephen, I've never read the story of Christmas in the Gospel of John. And that is because he doesn't tell the story the same way Matthew tells it and the way Luke tells it. The way they tell the story is the traditional Christmas telling of the story with the angels and the shepherds and the manger and the star and so on and so forth. The way John tells the story, we're going to read the verses in a second, is he describes a light that comes into the darkness. For the Apostle John, that is what Christmas is about, a light shining in the darkness. And so last week the challenge was, yes, we have so much darkness around us, but let's look at the light. Let's realize that light always wins. The darkness will never overcome the light. Revelation tells us that one day that light will so overwhelm all of creation that there will be no darkness. So we know the light wins. And so that candle was for you and I to look at as a source of hope and as a source of of light. Now, while last week was a candle, this week the image I'm going to use to try and focus our attention is that of a torch. And you and I have become very familiar with our torches over the last few months, right? Because we need our torches to navigate our way through the house, to the loo at night. Some of you are eating your meals with a torch hanging up somewhere at night. And of course, we can't see how our bry meat is cooked. And so out with the torches to see how our bry is doing. The thing is, with a torch, the torch is not a light to be looked at. The torch is a light to be seen with. It is a light that illuminates the world around me so that I can navigate the world around me. And so while you and I are maybe on average using a torch to simply navigate through the house, there are times when a torch comes in super useful where we are navigating some really tricky territory. One of the places our family loves to go, I went as a child, my kids are going as children, and my dad even went as a child, is to rural Transkei. And even to this day, it is super rural. What you don't bring with you, that's it, all right? And uh, one of the things, I'm sure most of you know where I'm going with this, that I love doing when we're in the Transkei there, is fishing. Now, there's a certain kind of fish that I love to catch, not only because it's good eating, but it also has the potential to get pretty big. And that is a fish called a cob or a cobble yo. You may see it in your fishmongers from time to time. The thing about the cob is that it's got a lateral line that allows it to pick up other fish's activity at night. 
And so the cob is an excellent night hunter. And for that reason, many people go fishing for cob at night. Now, in all my 40 years back then of being alive, I had never gone fishing for cob at night. And so we were there a number of years ago, and I thought to myself, I've never done this. My, my kids are in bed. We've had dinner. The sun has set. I'm going to get all my fishing gear, and I'm going to go out onto the rocks, and I'm going to catch a cob at night. My plans don't always work out that way. This day, it did. All right, so I got my fishing gear, and I had my torch, and the reason is because it's not like walking around on the beach in Mshlanga. All right, this is the wild coast. It's called the wild coast for a reason. And so I'm using my torch, got a heavy bag, I'm carrying my rods, and I'm navigating some really tricky, sharp rocks, and I'm going to the edge where there's some deep water where the waves are coming up onto me in the dark. And so I'm so desperately holding onto this torch number of hours I didn't catch anything and at about 10 o'clock at night I managed to land this baby there we go um, that was about the time of night that Bianca was really worried that something had happened to me because I hadn't come home so I'm so glad that I stuck it out but I was so reliant on what the torch was able to do in terms of lighting the way so that I could navigate some really tricky territory light reveals it helps me see what I do not always see. So let's go back to our text in John chapter 1. And we're just going to read a number of verses and make some comments and hopefully walk away with some encouragement this morning. These are the verses we spoke about last week, but we're just going to read from verse 4, where John writes, In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. He's talking about Jesus Christ. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome the light. And that was the challenge last week. To see past the nostalgia of Christmas. To see past some of the cultural nostalgia of Christmas. And even some of the traditional nostalgia of Christmas. Where maybe we go, oh, cute, that was a nice Christmas, but we don't actually see the lights. So the challenge was to see the light shining in the darkness. Then it talks about John the Baptist for a few verses, and let's jump ahead to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him and so what these verses are helping us see here where it says here in verse 9 the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world Jesus didn't only come to be seen but he came to help us see in other words Jesus isn't only like the candle that we look at Jesus is also like the torch that helps us navigate a very dangerous and dark world and helps light the way for us. And that is what today is going to be about. Now, what's very interesting in verse 9 here, it says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. But verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So interesting. That the light and the life that comes to us from Jesus Christ is available to everyone. 
And yet that light and the life that is enjoyed by everyone, not just Christians, but people of other religions, we're not talking about salvation here, we're talking about the light and life of Christ, the, the way he sustains this world is enjoyed by all people, even those who do not recognize him, even those who do not see him as God. Now, one of the arguments for the, as many of you know, I wrote a book a couple of years ago where I try and help us think about these things quite carefully. And one, one of the arguments that I try to make in that book and other thinkers have also tried to make in some of their books and sermons is that for those who do not believe in God, there are certain things they have to assume in order to explain away the existence of God, but the things they assume are dependent on God. The light and the life that is given to all of mankind was not recognized by all of mankind. Stephen, I don't know what you're talking about. Let me give you two examples. I'm not going to be able to go into all the details of the arguments, but a very common argument for maybe some of you here or maybe some of your friends and family is the problem of evil. And well, because there's so much evil in this world, because there's so much suffering in this world, we cannot believe in a good powerful, loving God, because a good, powerful, loving God would not allow all the pain and suffering in this world. And I understand the logic of that argument, and I also understand the emotion of that argument. Because very often, it's not some random suffering out there, it's suffering I've had to endure. It's a child I've had to lose. It's a cancer I've had to experience, or a cancer I've had to witness. So how is a good, loving, powerful God compatible with this? So because of evil, cannot believe in God. But here's the thing. If you take God off the table, you have no such thing called evil. You cannot call anything good, and therefore you cannot call anything evil. You have no basis for an objective morality. If we are going to take our morality, in other words, the things we call good, things we call bad, from the natural world, ground squirrels eat their own young. Moms and dads, I'm not saying you're going to do that at all. But if we take our cue from the natural world, that's not evil. But if humans had to do that, or when a lion eats a buck, we take our cameras out. We're like, ooh, ah. But when a human does it to another human, we're disgusted because of the evil we've just witnessed. And so without the presence of a God, we have no such thing as a standard by which we can call things evil or good. And so those who are explaining away the existence of God are dependent on God to call some things evil and some things good. Another example is human dignity. Today, it's very popular, and in many ways, rightly so, that the world is wanting to fight for dignity of all people, especially those who are weak, especially those who have been disenfranchised. But if you take God off the table, I want to say to you, what human dignity? This morning, I saw a cockroach in my lounge, just one, just one. And I had no problem squashing it. Why? Because it's just a cockroach. I don't care about little cockroach families. 
right? So when I take out a bunch of cockroaches or Hitler takes out an entire race, what's the difference in the natural world? What's human dignity? And so the very people who are arguing for human dignity are dependent on the God-given dignity that we have, but they are arguing against the reality of God, which is so ironic. And this is what John's getting to. The light and the life that came into the world was not recognized by everyone, even though everyone is dependent on it. It's kind of blindness where we cannot see But when we recognize, and this is why Christmas is so powerful to reorientate us, when we recognize that true light comes from Jesus, not only for us to see, but to help us see, suddenly so many more things start making sense. Here's the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said famously, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Does that make sense? Now I've got a second quote by C.S. Lewis. I don't think I've ever done two quotes by the same author in a row, but it's just too good not to use both of them. So here's a longer quote by him where he says something similar. He says this, I was standing today in the dark tool shed. The sun was shining outside and through the crack at the top of the door, there came a sunbeam. From where I stood, that beam of light with the specks of dust floating in it, can you picture this? Was the most striking thing in the place. Everything else was almost pitch black. I was seeing the beam, not seeing things by it. But then I moved so that the beam fell on my eyes. Instantly, the whole previous picture vanished. I saw no tool shed, and above all, no beam. Instead, I saw framed in the irregular cranny at the top of the door, green leaves moving on the branches of a tree outside, and beyond that, 90-odd million miles away, the sun. Looking along the beam and looking at the beam are very different experiences. Jesus is the light that we look at, and he is the light that helps us see the world around us. Now, why? Why do we need the light of Jesus? Why can't we go about the world with our own vision and trying to understand the world around us on our own without Jesus? And I've got two quick answers for you. The first one is because of the darkness. Now, when I went fishing that night, it was pretty obvious. It was pitch dark outside. The moon hadn't risen yet. It only came up about halfway through my fishing little experience there. And so I needed a torch, not just to see the way, but to prevent me from hurting myself or even worse. Now imagine I thought walking around in the darkness was normal. Imagine I thought, oh, I've got this. This is all that I need. And so not only do I try to get to the kitchen and the, the bathroom at night, without the lights where maybe only as few things could go wrong. But I try cross traffic without a light. I try walk around in the rocks in the trans sky without a light. I'm gonna do great damage to myself. And in the same way, there is a darkness in the world, which is so hard for us to sometimes perceive because I'm looking at you right now. 
we have this beautiful Joburg, sunny day outside. And so we believe in the same way that I can see, well, so surely I can navigate this, this world well. Listen, I, I don't know about you and I don't wanna come across pessimistic, but I just feel like so much going on in the world today is like the blind leading the blind. It feels like we're all just stumbling around in the darkness. And so whether I look at politics, and I don't care whether you're left, right, or center, or whatever, but it feels like it's just a whole bunch of people walking around in the dark. Or whether I look at social media or look at the news, I just feel like no one really knows what they're doing and what they're talking about. I'm not even claiming I have an absolutely clear vision of what's going on. Half the time, I don't know what's going on in our world. And so I need a light. And just like me crawling along those rocks in the trans sky, because we have a dark world and a difficult world. Listen, I don't want to just get by. I've got dreams. I've got dreams for us as a church. I've got dreams for us as a family. I want to navigate marriage well. Listen, navigating marriage well in today's world of darkness around marriage and family, we need lights. And so if I extend that into all aspects of life, because of the darkness out there, I need a light to help me see. So that's the first reason. The second reason is because of our own blurry vision. In other words, not only is there darkness out there, there is an inability within me to see clearly. Let me try and illustrate this. When we look up in the night sky, apparently the average human eye, I haven't tried to count, but apparently the average human eye can see a r- roughly 6,000 stars. And so when we look up at the beautiful night sky and we see 6,000 stars, what are we seeing? We're seeing these, to quote Pumba, I don't know how does Pumba say it, these white glowy things on the black background thing, hey? Fireflies, yes, fireflies on the, okay, that's what we see. And what are they doing? They're kind of blinking, right? And the reason why they're blinking is because the atmosphere around the earth is distorting and obscuring our view of the stars. Now I know more recently, we've got the James Webb Telescope, which is giving us some incredible images of space. But up to more recently, we've been just getting such great fantastic images from the Hubble telescope. And so where your eye and my eye on average sees 6,000 stars, the Hubble telescope sees trillions of stars. And where you and I see these fireflies, these white little specks on this bluish black thing, the Hubble telescope sees that. And the reason is, because the Hubble telescope is unencumbered by the things that distort your and my vision. It is out there in space beyond our atmosphere, and so it sees with far more clarity. Additionally, you and I only see a narrow band of visible light. Hubble telescope is able to see a far greater spectrum of light. And for that reason, Those are the incredible images that come our way from the Hubble telescope. You and I don't see that. 
what is very interesting about the Hubble telescope. This thing's the size of a bus, apparently, flying around up there in space. When it first got up there, I don't know what it cost, probably billions or trillions of dollars. The first images it beamed down were blurry and like badly blurry. And so the guys are like, oh my word, have we just wasted all of this money? So they went to check it out. Do you know that the mirror that was just part of focusing the light in the Hubble telescope, this giant mirror, its focal length was out by one fiftieth of a thickness of a human hair. And once they fixed that, we got such clarity, such vision. So where you and I are enabled, unable, sorry, to see clearly, we need to use the metaphor, we need a Hubble telescope. We need someone who does see clearly. We need someone with greater vision. We need someone who is unencumbered by the kinds of things that prevent you and me from seeing clearly, which is why we need the true light of the world. And Christmas just reminds us of that. So how are we going to do this? These are great big ideas. The starting point is something I've been trying to get us to admit for the last couple of weeks. But number one, we need to be willing to admit that you need help to see. See, at some point, you've got to move from, you know what, God, I've got this. I'm going to trust my own mind. I'm going to trust my own vision. I'm going to trust my own processing power. I've got this when it comes to life. I've got this when it comes to love. I've got this when it comes to family. I've got this when it comes to my purpose. You know what, God, I've got this. At some point, we've got to give that up and say, I thought I got this, but I don't see clearly. And there's more darkness that I was aware of. And so I need a light and we need to be willing to admit that and adjust our lives around that, which leads us to point number two. We need to allow God's word to help you see. This is how it is written in the book of Psalms 119 verses 105. Your word is a lamp or a torch for my feet, a light on my path. David is saying that God's word helps us see what you and I ordinarily would not see. It lights up the pathway for me so I can navigate this dark world and I'm therefore dependent on God's word for a vision of this world that I don't necessarily have. And so this kind of ups the stakes for why we read the Bible. We should never kind of read the Bible because God is up there taking register every morning. Hey, hey, Jesus, I got through two chapters today. I hope you noticed. No, we read the Bible to help us see, to help us see who God is and to help us see and navigate this whole world. You see, he has... Yeah, yeah, something that I believe I think is unfortunately so true of many followers of Jesus Christ. We use the scriptures to help us see Sunday. To give me some feel-good inspiration in the morning. We've got our three to five. We've got a handful of favorite verses. But here's the thing. The complexity of life is not explained by your three to five favorite verses. And so when we hit the obstacles of life 
and the darkness of life. And when our mind cannot correctly interpret what's going on, we blame God. But I believe what God is wanting to do is to help us understand this world, that His Word becomes a light to our path, that it helps me see all of life. Don't mean to sound like I'm punting my book this morning, but that is exactly what I try and claim there. You see, when we don't help, when we don't have God's Word helping us interpret life around us, we're going to look elsewhere for light. And every now and again, we're going to find a YouTube video or a book pretty compelling. But here's the thing. While some people may be able to create an argument that sounds pretty good, apart from the existence of God, the challenge is they can't explain just a few things. They need to explain all of reality. And I believe God's word is the only lens that we can use to interpret all of reality, including who is God? What is this God like? Why is Jesus the clearest view of God we have? Who am I? What is my purpose here in this world beyond just simply being on the hamster wheel of life? Why is there such hopes and dreams within me? Why is there a sense of eternity within me? And at the same time, why are there so many things within me that trip me up all the time? What is the way out of this? What is salvation? What are we saved from? What are we saved for? Where is history going? When the blip of my life comes and goes, what was it all for? These are the kinds of questions that the scriptures, if we allow them to, can light the way for us and give us great meaning and purpose and clarity in this world. By the way, everyone's trying to answer those questions. I just don't believe anyone can provide the kinds of answers that scripture gives us. And so we need to allow Christmas to reorientate our vision and we need to be willing to allow God's word to be a torch, to be a lamp to my path. Number three, we need to let the light of Jesus help you see. Now, as I wrote these words down, I, I wanted to find another way of saying that because that's like the most christian easy thing I think I've ever written down in my life. Let the light of Jesus help you see. Uh, that's cute. What does it mean? If Jesus is light... And if Jesus provides light, that means he is going to help me see. That means he is going to shine a light on my life and my situation and is going to help me interpret reality, help me walk this life well with wisdom. John 8, 12, just a few chapters later says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, He's our light. We look to him and he provides the way for us. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let me try and nail this down and give you a few concrete ideas. You see, it's one thing to study God's word and have a sense of what sin is. It's quite another thing to look at the life of Jesus and see how he loved sinners. And see what he did 
on behalf of sinners. It's one thing to know that God loves me. It's another thing to look at the life of Jesus and see that he also loves my enemies and his enemies. And while being crucified by the very people whose life he was sustaining with his own life, he says, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's one thing to be able to win an argument that we've derived from the scriptures. And there are a number of times that Jesus took the bait and was able to debate things with the Pharisees of the time. It's another thing to look at those times in Jesus' life, specifically when he was on trial, when he was falsely accused, when he was misrepresented. And he said nothing. It's one thing to love our religious stuff and our religious traditions and think that by those things we are made godly. It's another thing to see Jesus challenge the religious people of the time saying, listen, be careful. That stuff doesn't harden your heart and obscure your vision of God. Jesus becomes the focal point of our lights. Jesus becomes our final interpretation of God, of reality, of God's word. We need to take all of God's word and put it through the interpretation of who Jesus is because he is the light of the world. And finally, we're doing communion today. And I know it's not Easter. I know it's Christmas time. But Jesus came into the world with the purpose, purposes. And one of them was to die for our sin. So number four, we need to allow the light of the gospel to help you see. You see, the gospel isn't just something we believe to kind of get into heaven. The gospel is also something to help us see. Remember last week, and we read it here in verse five again today, the light came into the world, but the darkness has not overcome it. And just to remind you of what I said last week, the darkness definitely died trying to overcome the light. On at least nine occasions, there were attempts on the life of Jesus. That's not including the crucifixion when all the powers of darkness converged to try and put that light out. And yet, when Jesus rose on the third day, he broke the back of darkness. The darkness has not overcome the light. That is what we call the gospel. Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. This is not an equal and opposite battle between light and darkness. We know because of who Jesus is, his power, his sovereignty, his lordship, his victory on the cross, his resurrection, his life, that light always wins. And so that needs to help you and I interpret this world that we live in. And so when it seems like that, it seems like chaos is getting the upper hand and maybe darkness is winning. We reinterpret that through the lens of the gospel. And we say differently because we see differently. Because we know that the darkness has not overcome the light. 
And even though the light of Jesus may shine in the midst of some chaos, the time is coming when that darkness and that chaos will be eradicated completely. Or when your circumstances, whether it's your personal circumstances or just like the world that we live in, when it seems like God has lost control, we preach the gospel to ourselves. We say differently because we see differently. Because we know that despite some of the chaos and the apparent loss of control, that Jesus is sitting on the throne, that he is sovereign, that he is king. And even if, worst case scenario, you are literally confronted with death and you are afraid that death will have the upper hand, you preach the gospel to yourself. You say differently because you see death differently because you know Jesus broke the back of death. So the gospel helps you see, helps you interpret this life. It gives you a hope that is supernatural. One of my favorite Christmas songs, it's not a Christmas carol and it wasn't written for Christmas, but I love it as a Christmas song. I wanna read some of the lyrics, you'll recognize it. Light of the world, you stepped down into darkness, opened my eyes and you let me see. Verse two, king of all days, Oh, so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. This is the gospel. Humbly you came to the earth. You created all for love's sake, became poor. And I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. It's all there. The light of the world that helps me see. The gospel putting it all in right perspective for me. And so we're gonna to come to the table this morning and once again, I wanna to appeal to you, please don't do this lightly. Please don't do this as, well, it's that time of day, that's what we do. Let us do some business with God. Let us declare our dependence upon Him. Let's acknowledge, I don't see, Lord. This is a really complicated world right now and I need your light. And maybe your prayer is, Lord, I just want to fix my eyes on you at the moment. I want to look down that sunbeam. I just want to look at you and take my eyes off of the darkness. Maybe for some of you, you're going to look through that sunbeam. You're going to look at the world around you. And you're going to reinterpret your pain. You're going to reinterpret some of your struggles. You're going to reinterpret your own identity through the lens of Jesus' Lordship, His love for you and what He did on your behalf on the cross. As we take of the bread signifying the broken body of Jesus Christ and the juice signifying His blood shed for us, that is the value He applied to you. And so as that song says, so here I am to worship. As we do this work with God, let our communion taking this morning be a response of worship. Let us pray. And then in your own time, let us take communion together. Father, we need your light. And we thank you that you gave us your son 
to help us see, to be the light in the darkness, to overcome darkness. And we live in that time where you are in darkness and darkness has not overcome you. But because of your victory on the cross, we look forward to the time where darkness isn't only defeated, it is eradicated. But help us, Jesus, help us see, as the song says. Help us see, help us see you, Jesus. Help us see our lives differently in the light of you, Jesus, in the light of Christmas and in the light of your gospel as we take communion together as a family. Thank you.